Hey guys, Jack here. Uh, not a lot of announcements this week. We've got an awesome guest for you, Zach Elwood, a poker tells expert and author, also a great poker player, is here for an interview uh, and a hand. Other than that, not much new to report this week. We've got some stuff coming in the pipeline, including uh, our revamped website uh, that should be up for you guys next week. Uh, so stay tuned for that and enjoy this week's episode. Zach, what do you think the percentage of like the average winning live pros win rate is due to physical and verbal tells? Yeah, that's a good question. I'd say, you know, a, a strong, somebody who's a strong, um, a strong professional player who was also good at making live reads, I'd say, I've said in the past, it's anywhere from like a 10 to 20% increase. I mean, and then that's, you know, obviously debatable, but I think it's around there. But then some people, I've talked to some pros, experienced pros who think it's higher. And then, you know, I think most people think it's around 10% or lower. So we're not talking, you know, we're not talking huge differences, but obviously um, I think most people would agree, you know, the, the, the little edges you get from paying attention to that stuff make a, make a big uh, impact in the long term. Yeah. But yeah, to answer your question, like around 10%, 15%, somewhere around there probably. And, and that, Oh, sorry. That might that might sound small, but it really isn't, uh, especially if you're a professional. Yeah, um, I think it's I think it's big. Uh, it sounds it sounds underwhelming, you know, because most people, a lot of people, have the concept of the sexy concept of like poker tells are a big thing, you know. But it's it's not huge, but it's still very significant. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we discuss it a lot on our show albeit in a somewhat un- uneducated and likely very biased based on our prior experience way. But yeah, I mean, I think Zach and I are both firmly of the school that uh, the more information you have, you know, and the better you can use it, obviously. And it's I only going to translate the winnings. I think that, you know, it varies a lot too because sometimes you'll be playing with players who are very easy to read and keep doing the same things and, you know, your edge against them will be significantly higher than you know, 15% um, based on those or per those specific players. And then you'll have other players that are tough to play against and never give you any good reads. And, you know, so obviously your edge would be much lower, but you know, so it varies based on players. I mean, yeah. So I have a question. Um, so when you're approaching, you know, evaluating what a physical tell might mean, what would you say is the relative value in your experience of sort of your generic tells and what you think those typically translate to versus things you've observed uh, from specific players? Right. Uh, I mean, there's some things, there's some things that I feel very comfortable basing cold reads on just because I know they're so generally powerful, you know, and especially if you have a feeling of someone's amateur or, you know, good too. Uh, I mean, there's there's certain things that you can feel comfortable making cold reads on, and then there's other things that are much more subtle and vary a lot from person to person. And for those things, you'd want to have a more you know more of a read on them. Like for example, like eye contact after betting. To take an example, like you know whether somebody's staring at you or avoiding eye contact after betting. Like those that can really vary from person to person. Um, and even though you know there, there, there's kind of like a uh, you know, kind of like the mythology that bluffers are more likely to stare at you 
Uh, but in my, you know, in my experience, in my opinion, that that can vary so much. It's one of those things that, you know, somebody who's bluffing can stare at you. Somebody who's value bidding can just be so relaxed. They're staring at you. Um, and I actually think it's more, uh, the second one, like, I feel like if somebody's staring at you after, after betting, uh, by and large, it'll be somebody who's relaxed more likely than it is someone who's bluffing and trying to intimidate you. But my point is that it varies so much that I'd rather get a sense of what they're doing, um, with that behavior a few times before basing a decision on it. It's not something that I would feel good basing a soul read on against, you know, in one hand with, versus a stranger. <clears throat> that makes right. sense. How valuable do you think the type of consulting you did for Amir in the, in like the world series of poker would be to the average, you know, low stakes player? Oh, I don't think, um, well, you know, the world series. And I, and I should say too, I don't know if you guys knew, I also, uh, consulted for, uh, Max Steinberg last year. Okay. Uh, at that final table to usual circumstance because you have time to study your opponents and obviously everybody has time to prepare to and become really, you know, get prepped for it mentally. Uh, but it's unusual that you have time to study the footage and potentially other footage. Like for example, you know, for Amir, when I consulted for Amir, I went out and found footage from other, uh, other, the other final table players found footage of them in other events because, they were in some other events too, um, televised events. Uh, you know, it's unusual that you have that time to study footage. You know, f- most most players aren't going to be in a situation where that's really an option. You know, unless they're playing, you know, their regular opponents or people who there's a lot of footage out there for. It's just not usually the case. That's why I don't really do any you know consulting or coaching or whatever for you know most regular players is just not worth the effort unless you have some footage to study, you know, and, and get a, get a good sample size of somebody, whether it's the player or their opponents or whatever. Yeah. I guess I, right. I meant more the type of, so like a lot of we're doing for Amir, we're studying the other players tendencies, but I guess right. what, I, what I meant to ask was like, how valuable do you think it is? Like, let's say, so, you know, we, Jack and I have played and commentated on, uh, this show called poker on air, which is based in Akron, uh, and, you know, I've I've personally gotten a lot of value just from kind of like watching myself and watching some of the people I play with regularly in home games and uh, casinos around here play. And but I think the most value has just been, you know, making sure that I'm not unbalanced in terms of my like really it was like timing tells, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think there is. Yeah. For that stuff. Yeah. Specifically, like for play, if somebody's got some footage of themselves. Um, yeah, I, I think I could provide value there. Um, and you know, a lot of times it'll just be like, it's hard to tell because you know, it might, a lot lot of times what happens with televised stuff is it cuts away from somebody after they bet and focuses on the other player, which is kind of a pain in televised stuff too. Um, yeah, but to answer your question, yeah, I do think I would, I would provide value there. I mean, I don't think it'd be as, it wouldn't be as valuable, obviously, as somebody who's prepping for the uh, November nine. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think I think it helps to have somebody look at your look at your footage and see if you might have some obvious glaring um, imbalances. And sometimes, you know, I, I don't know if you guys saw the 
the video compilation uh, analysis I put together for P.S. Hines from the 2011 World Series Poker Final Table, uh, main event final table. That was a good example of uh, the kinds of stuff you can sometimes find on people that are that can really be a blind spot. Uh, did you guys happen to see that by any chance? I'll send you a link later if you haven't. No, please send it, and we'll put it yeah. in the show notes. And if you search for, if anybody's listening, uh, well, I'm sure people are listening, but they can <laughs> they can go to, uh, so if you search for P.S. Hines Poker Tells, you'll find one of the videos I made. But basically, it was a really glaring example of, like, a super imbalance in P.S. Hines, and, like, it's one of the most dramatic uh, poker tells that I found in such a high-profile spot, uh, and just really, you know, really extreme. Because a lot of poker tells you find are kind of like, oh, they might be like, you know, 60, 70% reliable or whatever. Um, and that, that was, a, his was a really glaring example of where, in a nutshell, where he, his usual MO was to stare at his opponent when he was betting and after he bet, like making really direct eye contact. And the only time, and this, this came into play when he was heads up, uh, it was really in play because he was directly across from his opponent. Uh, when he had strong hands, he would look down at the table and avoid eye contact after betting and during betting. Uh, so it was a really, a really night and day uh, uh, thing for him, and it, and it showed up across like pretty much all his strong hands, um, most of his strong hands at the at the in the heads up portion where he was avoiding eye contact and making much less eye contact when he had strong hands. Uh, so yeah, if anybody wants to Google that, it's on my YouTube uh, channel. That's one way to lose value. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was interesting too because Hines was an experienced player. A lot of people think he's a very good player, um, but he hadn't <laughs> he hadn't played uh, much uh, live poker at all. And that was one of the reasons I was I was watching him. I was like, well, he hasn't played much, played much live poker, so I'm confident I'm going to find right. something. This is one of the reasons I was studying in the first place. So, so you probably observe a lot of tells when you're playing. That, that aren't in your own hands. Is there a certain player type that you feel like picks up on those sorts of tells much more readily than other player types? Like, for example, you know, are all of like the old Indian women playing at five ten? You know, are they they're catching all the tells and they're very wily in terms of their you know ability to make correct physical reads based on your interpretation of you know what these reads mean. Oh, I don't think most people are paying attention to it whatsoever. I mean, I mean, considering how rare it is for me to base a decision on it, I think, um, and, I, and you know, and I'm, I'm often looking for reasons to base decisions on it. Uh, I, I think it's, in my experience, it's just been that hardly anybody pays attention to that stuff. Uh, Part of why I'm wondering, I. I think I'm fairly good about not telegraphing reads, but I definitely feel I get a little bit emotional both when I'm bluffing and when I have a very strong value hand, which I think is probably normal. And I think, you know, for for a long stretch, I felt like I was getting read, uh, you know, by my opponents. And I think it's probably more a product of variance. But it's something that I, I think about, you know, in terms of trying to improve as a player is, you know, paying a lot of attention to my behavior in those spots. Do you think there's anything very valuable that, you know, someone like myself, if I catch myself, is there anything to try and catch myself doing uh, that you think is an extremely common thing that 
people who are even maybe trying to pay attention to that kind of thing are missing? I think uh, I would say, you know, eye contact and where you look like your gaze direction in general, like during certain portions of the hand are, are, are a big leak for people. They're one of the major things I pay attention to is like where people are looking like when they check on the river to their opponent, where they're looking when they make a big bet on the river. I always try to uh, make note of that and then, you know, hopefully you get to see what they had to um, and try to correlate, you know, those kinds of things. I think that's a big leak for a lot of people. Uh, bed timing can be, you know, especially like immediate calls uh, can be a big leak. Yeah. Because uh, that really gives away, you know, like, yeah, you don't have a super strong hand, uh, you know, for the most part. You're, you're probably on the, in the middle, medium strength area when you, you know, snap call somebody's seabed or whatever. <laughs> I've gotten in trouble with that. Uh, seeing people call quickly and then deciding, like, oh, I can... I can get them off that. <laughs> right. That's the other thing. Like a lot of times you, you might know their medium strength, but they're not going to fold anyway. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's the I've other part of that. I think a lot of people, a lot of people learn that the hard way. Yeah. Jack, there's one. It's like it's one uh-huh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was going yeah, to say it's one, it's one thing to know they're weak. It's another thing to know that they're going to fold. Yeah. There was one hand I remember. Luckily I didn't make this mistake, but there was, this kind of i'd say like early 30s professional player jack at the that palm beach kennel club and there was kind of like it's like early 60s reg he was there every day we were there and uh you know i talked to him a little bit and he was very fond of his game he's like yeah i retired but i i do quite well in these games i usually make a few hundred dollars a day <laughs> you know playing five or six hours of two five and he said he's been doing it for years i'm like okay and this pro three bet out of the blinds and this guy kind of called really quickly pre-flop and basically just like quickly called all three streets for what amounted to like putting 200 big blinds in the pot and the guy just called with they have jacks what what do you have jacks (laughs) really close he he had tens and there was Uh. one one overcard on the flop and then like a relatively safe run out and the guy was good and just kind of gave this look to the rest of the table like (laughs) you know <laughs> no no kid is gonna barrel me off my hand yeah yeah like, if you're gonna play exploitive against me like <laughs> don't choose that way <laughs> I think, yeah when it, it's interesting too like when you when your average player like snap calls a three bet it's gonna be tens or jacks because usually decent you know if they're somewhat decent like they're not most players are not going to be snap calling with ace king. Most players aren't going to be snap calling with nines or or queens or kings. So it's usually going to be tens or jacks, right? Like you and you see that a pretty good amount. Like I mean, so, yeah, I, I've got so many hands where uh, written down where some you know fairly standard tight player called a three bet. You know, snap called a three bet. I'm like, oh, he's got jacks. Or if he's if he's tighter, maybe he's got queens because he might think about folding jacks. So maybe I can edge it up a little bit. <laughs> Here's I'm, I'm going to make a big reveal to the just hands poker community. If you catch me doing this, please ex- try to exploit me. So when I'm against like reg types that aren't like at my local casino that I play with regularly, or just like you know younger, most younger players that look like they know what they're doing, I'll consistently just like do the stuff that like you and right you and Mike Kara write in your books that is like really strong. Like 
make a speech and then shove the river or like look at my cards like look like i kind of want to fold and then raise with bluffs. Oh, you're saying you're saying as re- oh as with bluffs yeah. yeah and i've i found it to be like really really effective even though i, <laughs> I generally don't have a lot of fold equity and i was just wondering that's one, interesting like do you recommend this maybe i'm just kind of running hot in this you know medium sample of doing so and to like how common do you because you always write in your books like you know the type of person that's capable of like doing this is like so rare don't worry about it so i I just wonder like if is this something that's like worth doing because it's definitely makes it harder because i'm not just trying to like be balanced with my timing tells i'm you know a lot of times i'm trying to do exploitative things with my physical and verbal tells so i'm just wondering sure. if, if it's worth it yeah i mean i think it, I, I i can definitely see it working i mean there's a few caveats it's like i think it's most likely to work um, to get more folds than usual, I think it's most likely to work against players who are pretty decent and who know those kind of things. Um, and also, I would say, like the other caveat is, like obviously, once you know, once a player sees that you're capable of that, it's pretty unlikely. You know, if they're observant, it's pretty unlikely it's going to work on them again, or they're or they're just going to try to ignore it or whatever. You know, whatever adjustment they make, it's it's the kind of thing. I think it does work well against thinking strangers uh who are aware of those kinds of tells i think it loses its value when you play against regs or you play against you know experienced mm-hmm. players who see you do it you know and right. once or whatever you know but I, th- I think it does have value i mean i, I think it I, I totally believe that you could be getting more folds you know than than average with that yeah i think i think as the collective poker consciousness progresses uh you might be able to do the reverse with that that to me like the speech is one of the most well-known like uh tells that i feel like almost every player who's ever you know thought to themselves like maybe i should look into something about poker tells has come across the fact that speeches are generally strong so right. i think at a certain point zach or to, to all of us we'll probably be able to get away with like giving the speech with value hands uh it's like a leveling thing and then, Double and then, yeah, and then against uh, more recreational players, uh, doing the speech as a bluff, since they'll be, you know, back on that first level of thought. Uh, I mean, I still think prediction. Most, I think most recreational players probably you know aren't. I mean, that's the thing with recreational players. You, I, I'm afraid of triggering their calling reflex, as Mike Caro called it. You know, it's kind of like a lot of times they're just looking for an excuse to think you're weak. Yeah give a call so it's kind of like you're playing with fire unless you have an idea that they're you know have an idea what they're going to think because a lot of times players are just going to be like oh he said something weird i'm going to call him you know <laughs> so kind of like you, you're playing with fire a little bit there yeah, yeah that's true I've that's, that's a really good point and that's one of the, the dangers of uh false tells and that's what mike caro talked about it's kind of like uh, you know, he called it the calling reflex because so many recreational players are just looking for an excuse to get their money in, you know? Yeah, or, awesome. or, I mean, people just call <laughs> all the time and, like, that might trigger, like, oh, shit, he probably has it even more than I thought before, but that's not going to affect that they just put the chips in. <laughs> yeah, they still, might, they still might call you. They'll be like, I knew he had it. Or, or that's what they would be saying if you weren't bluffing. You know, I really put you on was, that hand after the speech. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, like, that inner dialogue, like, Oh man, I'm gonna look so smart when I call and then tell him that I knew that's what he had. <laughs> right, right. It's a, it's a, it's an out. <laughs> a face saving. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, I, I, we got one more hand for you, Zach. Uh, not more, one more hand. Sorry, one more question. <laughs> one more hand would be a little ridiculous. Uh, yeah, uh, that's, I'm handed out. <laughs> How long have you been playing professionally for? And like, you know, what other income streams have you had besides, you know, poker? And if you just want to talk a little bit more about this, because I think there's a lot of poker players who are kind of like in in a position where, you know, maybe they've played full time for some years and are playing part time now or juggling other things be and i think it's just always interesting to hear how you know people that are good poker players that have you know played a bunch make it kind of make it all work financially yeah i mean i only played for a living full-time for three years and that was back in um 2003 to 2006 right around that time and then since then i've just played on the side i've i've worked you know a bunch of different jobs. Sometimes I've worked freelance part-time and played a good amount of poker. And sometimes I worked full-time right now. I started, I actually started a full-time job a few months ago and that was my first full-time job in three years. So yeah, I mean my, my, uh, resume is kind of weird. Um, uh, but yeah, I only played full-time for three years. I think, uh, you know, honestly, like, uh, I've often said I, I I never really wanted to be a full time poker player. I just kind of just fell into it, and um, it's not it was never like my my dream thing to do. So I think I was I was less motivated to seek out that less lifestyle than a lot of other people who are you know passionate about it. It was never it was never like I never had the inclination to like play you know super high stakes or move to vegas and like that it was more like i thought about it like i I like doing it and i like doing it like the less i play the more i enjoy it kind of thing like i get stressed out honestly like playing a lot um i I don't think i'm built well like anxiety level wise for you know playing poker a lot um so yeah that's my story all right one here's the real last question (laughs) in terms of uh, the poker scene in Portland. Where's the best place to play, if anywhere? Uh, definitely a place called Final Table, uh, and it's kind of like not that well known, but they have some really good games there. Like, I haven't I haven't actually played there for a few months, but I was playing there uh, five, ten, and uh, two five games, you know, regularly up until a few months ago, and they have two five, you know. Pretty much every day, they have five, ten, like three times a week, maybe more. They've even had a ten to twenty game recently, um, and yeah, it's a, it's a good game, and and not a lot of people know about it. So if you come to Portland, check it out. I, I can table. I can vouch for for that as well. When I was in in Portland, uh, briefly in the spring, I played like kind of one six hour session of two five there, and that game was quite good. And the five ten game looked even better <laughs> yeah definitely uh i would i would recommend it i even there were even some people dutch boy even said on twitter he was like i heard portland games are like the best game in the country right now <laughs> because yeah. of oh it's also because of the lack of rape there's no rape yeah there's no you, rape you pay how like do, how do they make money you pay like five bucks or something crazy you pay ten dollar daily admission fee that's it <laughs> oh my god it was it's like paradise i mean especially like a few months ago when the 510 was running every day like they had that was that was going like every day but it's kind of died out now it's running less but still it's you know no rake hard to hard to complain about it 
what's funny is that there's probably like some players who are like god i can't believe i have to pay an entrance fee <laughs> I, yeah. yeah there's some honestly there are some people that would be yeah they don't even realize i actually heard a radio ad like de- denigrating the portland card rooms that was paid for by casinos where that have rake and they were like we don't make you pay a daily entry fee to play poker and like you know like people don't realize like they're paying like multiple times more in rake you know that's how yeah it's silly (laughs) they were just blatantly like we don't make you pay a daily entry fee at our place we just you know charge you tons in rake i guess that's their target market though not discerning enough to really figure that out right exactly (laughs) yeah they're gonna be losing gamblers you know yep those are the people they want well zach thank you for giving us uh so much of your time. It was, a, it was a pleasure talking to you. And Jack and I will be in Portland at some point in May, maybe June. Maybe hope to, to yeah. meet you in person there. Yeah, look me up. Yeah, for sure. Go out for a beer. Go play at Final Table. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course, Zach. Okay. All right. Later. All right. Peace. Bye.